You may be seated. You are in wonderful voice tonight, I'll tell you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we look at his word tonight. Our Father, we thank you so much for the word that you have given to us. We praise and thank you, God, that you are so faithful to speak to your people. Lord, we just ask that we might see Jesus tonight, that we might give ourselves to the attention of your word, that we would take these things to heart, that you would apply them, Lord, and encourage us, uh, challenge us. Lord, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We thank you, O Lord, and pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, if you've worked with children at all, you know the importance of teaching them the basics of life, such as things like their colors or the numbers, how to count to 100, or the alphabet or things like that, because it's out of these foundational truths which become the building blocks for so much of what they'll do in life. Well, I think it's much the same way for a new church plant. It's important to start out and to understand together the foundational truths that Jesus Christ teaches, and particularly about the church. If we're going to be a church plant, we need to understand what it means to be the church, because if we don't grasp this, that we will be tempted to, as culture says, do church, maybe the way that we desire to do that, rather than understanding what Christ says and following his way. So tonight, the text is actually very brief. It is simply this, I will build my church from Psalm, or from Matthew 16, 18. Now, there's a whole lot more in that passage. We could talk about who the rock is. We could talk about the gates of hell. We could talk about the keys to the kingdom. But that's for when we do another series and actually preach through the book of Matthew. So tonight, I just really want to focus upon Jesus saying, I will build my church. Well, of course, first of all, I think we need to talk about what is the church? I think for for many of us, when we think of the church, we might think of First Baptist Church that you passed as you came in here tonight or or maybe Peace Lutheran Church out on 21st Street or or Hope Community Church out on the edge of Andover. Or or maybe you might even think of the new kid on the block and think of Kirk of the Plains, although we're not a church yet. We're a church plant. So those things may come to mind, you know, because I think it's oftentimes people's temptation when they think of the church to think of a church building, or at least if you, you understand scripture better, you go, well, it's not the building, it's the people. So you might think of the people who meet in the church. But as Jesus is talking here in Matthew 16, he's talking of, he's using the word ecclesia. And ecclesia means the called out ones. And so Jesus Christ is talking about people that hear the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And they believe in him and live as those who were called out from the ways of this world and the sin and living a life the way they want and instead living a life of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's really more than just a sense of being called out of the world. It's really the idea of being called out to assemble together. It's really the idea of being a community, if you would, as well. A community that worships the Lord, both 
with their tongues, but also with their lives as well. So when Jesus talks about his church, he's speaking of all those who are bound to Jesus Christ by a, a saving relationship of faith and love and mercy and dependence upon Jesus Christ. So if I might just put it very concisely, he's talking about all believers. You know, he's not. And we also know that, you know, not every person that goes to church is a believer. But those that are, are part of his church. And Jesus Christ promises to build his church. Now, I, I want to be very clear as, as I say that, that uh, we understand that that is his church around the world. So it's not just here in Andover. It's not just in Wichita. It might be in Dhaka, Bangladesh as well, or in China or in Africa or wherever. But Jesus Christ promises to build this church. And I want us to not mistakenly think that when he's talking about building his church, that he's referring to Kirk of the Plains. Now, it is true that when Christ builds his church and as he does build his church, he does build local churches as well. But really, we're talking about the larger church and the promises that that uh, that he will build up that larger church. So what is Jesus Christ saying about the church, uh, even in this short phrase? Well, first of all, I want us to see that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He says, I will build my church. It is his church, not simply because he created it, but also because he redeemed it or he bought it. You know, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we read that the the uh, the uh, where Paul says that Jesus Christ obtained or he purchased the church with his own blood. And to really fully appreciate what that means, we have to understand what Christ paid for his church. And I think for all of you that are here tonight, you probably have heard this before, but it doesn't hurt us to be reminded of the, the cost that it was to Jesus Christ for him to purchase his church we know that God is a holy God and he made everything perfect in this world, including humanity. There was no killing or lust or greed or any other sin uh, at the beginning when God created his creation. Mankind loved God and worshipped him, but then the first people, Adam and Eve, sinned and rebelled against the Lord and chose to eat of the forbidden fruit uh, that God told them not to eat, which he did so for their own good. And Adam and Eve's sin obviously not only affected them, but all of mankind as well. Because from that time onwards, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, that then humanity no longer lived to please God or to worship him, but to live the way that they wanted to live. And you might, uh, there might be those that you might encounter that say, well, you know, um, I'm not really a religious person. You know, and so obviously I don't believe in God. But even though a person is not religious, it does not mean that they do not have that seed of religion in their heart. And what I mean by that is, is that they don't still uh, they're not they're still made in the image of God. And so even as unbelievers, there is a sense in which people uh, seek to worship. They they cannot help. They cannot escape that desire to worship, even if they are an atheist and they say there is no God. There may God, their God may not be, uh, you know, Buddha, Buddhism or something like that. Instead, it may be approval 
or maybe status, or they may seek to worship comfort or money or work or family or health or any number of things. It might be sports. I don't know. But the question is not whether we will worship, but what is it that we will worship? You see, for most people, the God who created us is no longer God in their eyes. People that we work with, people that are our neighbors, they, they have some other God. And if they're honest, they really set themselves as the captain of their own destiny and they determine what is right. In essence, they act as if um, they are God. Um, and so the problem is that God has created us to worship him and this innate desire to worship is so much, like I said, a part of us that we cannot help but do this. This rebellion on humanity's part to refuse to worship and serve God is a heinous sin. You know, obviously our culture does not see that. As a matter of fact, uh, the word sin is for all intended purposes become passe in our culture. And unfortunately, even in some of the churches as well. And so because of that, we are oftentimes blind to what is coming. But regardless of what we think and the reality that we have created for ourselves, our sin against God is very serious. And it is the scandalous nature of our sin that made the purchase price so great for Jesus Christ to pay for his church. He had to give an enormous price to satisfy the justice of his father and to pay the price of salvation. I think oftentimes, even as believers, we think that grace uh, means that salvation is free. And it is for us, but it is very costly for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had to suffer more than any other and eventually to die the most unbearable death imaginable on a cross to purchase his church, to purchase us. And so as Jesus Christ hung dying on the cross, he did not hear the words of the father that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Instead, what he heard or saw was the father turning away from Jesus Christ because The sin of the entire church was placed upon Jesus Christ at that moment. And so the Father, because uh, he is holy and he cannot tolerate sin, instead pours his wrath out upon the Son, and the Son satisfies that wrath that we might be part of the church. And Jesus Christ does this willingly. It's not like God the Father is some mean God and God the Son is, is a gracious God. Rather, what happened was is is that God created man to have fellowship with him, but man rebelled. And so instead of God leaving us right where we were, God pursues us. He realizes that as a holy God, there's no choice but to pour his wrath out upon the people. But he, in his great love, comes up with this plan from from eternity past, even before we sinned, to pursue us, and his son willingly comes to purchase a people for himself. And so as we as we think about the church and we think about the price that was paid, we have to understand that the that the the church was purchased at a great cost, which means that the church is of great value to the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, none of us, and I mean none of us deserve to be loved as much as Jesus Christ loves his church.
And we need to remember that. We, may, we need to never forget how important the church is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's so easy for us, even as believers, to sometimes speak poorly of the church for which our Savior died. You know, we sometimes have a very immature attitude of the church when we speak so flippantly about the church. Or it's so easy, like I said, to criticize the leaders of the church or to speak ill of parts of the church that we feel like are less pure and maybe are not following the word of God. We can grumble and we can complain and we can talk about all the things that the church ought to be doing. And we forget, though, that the church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we cannot criticize her the way that we want to do so. I know one of the things that I sought to instill in my kids was is that they needed to respect their mother or my wife or my bride. And I told them there was zero tolerance on that. They were not allowed to disrespect their mother. Now, it didn't happen very often, but there were times when that was challenged. And I very much made it very clear at those times that they did not have the freedom to disrespect their mother. And that pretty much put an end to it. They pretty much got the message. But I think that sometimes we don't get the message when it comes to Christ and his bride. Now, I'm not saying that it's uh, that all criticism of the church is illegitimate. I Actually, I really appreciate Dr. Beakey's words and his clarification on this. He says that not all criticism of the church is illegitimate, but he says, but all dry-eyed criticism of the church is illegitimate. All dry-eyed criticism of the church is illegitimate. If you're going to criticize the church, he says, then do so with tears and prayers to God Almighty on her behalf. You know, we live in a day and a time that criticizes really all authority, not just ecclesiastical or church authority, but also political authority, even domestic authority. It's really a sad time in which we live that, that where the authority of the church is disregarded and marginalized by society. But I think the greatest sin is even when we as believers are tempted to criticize Christ's church with dry eyes. And it's my prayer that is Kirk of the Plains that whenever we speak about the church and if there's ever any sense of criticism that we would come as a people with tears before the Lord to pray for his church. That if we see something that's occurring in the church that is, that is awful and ought not to be, that we would not look down upon the church in that way with like looking down our noses at people and our brothers and sisters in Christ and in their struggle, but instead that we might lift them up before the throne of grace and that we might pray for them. So let us work with the church at large uh, and seek ways that we can participate with other churches in Andover for the spread of the gospel. Let us have a high view of the church and the work that Jesus Christ is doing. I don't want us in any sense as a church plant to think that finally, because a Kirk of the Plains is here, the gospel has come to Andover. Or I don't want us to think that because Reformed theology is now present within the city limits of Andover, that now the gospel has come to Andover. We need to realize 
that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And so the church has value. And we want to work to see that church be built up. You know, um, I think it's uh, very easy as we see the church struggle to sometimes not have as high a view of the church as we ought to. You know, I think of some husbands, and I'm sure there's none in this congregation, you know, that refer to their wife as the old, the old ball and chain. You know, that's not the attitude that Christ has. And you might even know of uh, couples, maybe a husband that you think, wow, he could have married much better than what he did. You know, and it'd be easy to look at Christ and think the same thing. Why did Christ choose the church? Why did he take her? She is so, uh, so much struggling and, you know, full of temptation. And so we might be tempted to think this way about the church. But we must keep in mind that the church is valuable, not because of who she is, but because of who she belongs to. May we never, ever, ever forget that. That Jesus Christ, the true God, who made all creation and rules over all things, chose the church to be his bride. So if you don't remember anything else, remember that the church is valuable because she belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, what else does it mean that when Jesus says, my church, not only does the church belong to him, but also the church exists for Jesus and not for us. The church is not only his because it was purchased by him, but also because it exists for him. I think so many problems in the church would be taken care of if we simply remembered that fact that the church is not here for us. The church of Jesus Christ does not exist for the people before Jesus Christ. How often do we seem to uh, want to exert our own will within the church? As a matter of fact, in American evangelicalism, the church even sort of promotes that idea. And, and really tries to draw people in by catering to their preferences and their wishes and their, uh, their desires. Even changing the worship of God so to make it more appealing to the masses. But lest we fall into the trap of criticizing others, we need to recognize and be reminded that we can also be ones uh, that, the, that, that, excuse me, that we might fall into the trap of thinking that the church is here to meet our needs. I mean, how many times do we think that you know we want a certain kind of youth group for our youth, or we want a certain kind of uh, Sunday school for our, our kids, or maybe we're, we're sort of critical of the church because we feel like it's not reaching out to the community the way that it should. It should be more outward focused, and we want the church to be a certain way to fulfill our expectations. But yet we need to be reminded that the church exists not for any man, woman, or child, but it exists for Jesus Christ, that he would be honored and that he would be glorified. And so it exists to obey him and to please him. That is the purpose of the church's existence. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church. Jesus is the one who builds his church not us. And I think that's really important for us to keep in mind as a church plant. If you look over at the book of Acts, turn to Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Luke begins this book this way. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dwelt, or excuse, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then what Luke is doing in the book of Acts is he's continuing to show what Jesus Christ is doing. So he began telling in his gospel of Luke, and now in the book of Acts, he's continuing to show what Christ is doing. You see in Acts 2 that there are 3,000 plus people who were added to the church in one day. And you have to ask yourself, why did that happen? Well, I'm sure it was because Peter was a great preacher, you know. No, obviously not. If you flip over to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, at the very end of that, it tells us why they were added there. They were added there because the Lord added to their numbers daily. It is Jesus Christ who is the one who builds his church. Now, we can all do things to to try to add people to the church of Jesus Christ. You know, we could try to emotionally sway people or we could be persuasive in our words to try to draw people in. We could physically become organized in some kind of way to attract people. But God is not interested in attracting people to the church. Instead, he is seeking to call out a people to himself. When Jesus said that he was building the church, I think to the disciples, this would not have been unusual because that's been the work that God has really been doing since the beginning. Even throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see the work of God throughout history of calling a people to himself. Think about Abram. You know, Abram, God comes to him and he calls him to come. And then God gives Abram a family. And out of that family grows a nation which becomes God's people, the Israelites or the Jews. And that's God's people in the Old Testament. But now what Jesus is saying is, you know, I'm calling the people to himself in the New Testament. But this is the church. So as one person put it, God started out with Adam and Eve in the garden And yet when you turn to the end of the book in the book of Revelation, what do you see? Multitudes and upon multitudes of people that man cannot even count that are now belong to his church. They are the outcome of everything that God has been doing since Genesis chapter one. So Jesus is building the church in that he is calling or drawing out to himself a people Uh, of his own, a people who are united by one thing, namely a burning longing to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what their existence is all about. That is what our existence is all about, that we would have a burning longing to honor and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord is doing. Um, And that's what the Lord will do until everyone is added to his church. And when the Lord has brought in the last person into his church, then the end of all things on this earth will come to an end. And then the Lord Jesus Christ will take his church and he will present her to the Father. That's what history is all about. All the political and all the military facts of human history, you know, kids, I'll just tell you, I'll save you a lot of time. All that stuff you're learning in history is really just the backdrop to the purpose of God. When one day history will be brought to an end and the whole world will see the glory of the Redeemer God as he presents that people to himself. And so as we stand there in heaven, 
we do so to give glory to God. When every when people from every tongue, tribe, nation will be seen and worship the Lord. So, so God is not interested in merely bringing people into the church. And we need to never forget that, that that's not our goal. He wants a people who are his people. Our God is not in the interest of just gathering people in, but he is in the business of regeneration, of causing people to be born again to a new life in Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, only Jesus can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can regenerate a person's heart. We cannot do that. And so we can be faithful to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We can pray. We can reach out to others and we can show the love of Christ. But only he can change the hearts of people. And I say that because I don't know if you feel this or not, but sometimes don't you feel like as a church plant that everybody's watching? They want to see if you're going to make it. They're going to, they want to see if, if you're going to close your doors or not. And, and the temptation can be we have to sort of justify our existence. You know, we sort of have to make this happen. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, let's not fall into that trap. But instead, let's just be faithful to do the things that God has called us to do and to trust that he will be the one who will build his church. But I want us to see then, second of all, that as he builds his church, he not only is calling the people to himself, but he is also creating a new community, a new community. Jesus is doing more than merely adding souls to his church, but he is creating that new community. Look over at Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. This is a very familiar passage. It says, while... This is, uh, it says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus is saying here is, is that this new community that he is forming, this, this family that he is bringing into existence, has first claim above all other claims in their lives. And when we look through the book of Acts, you know, we see that as well. And I think oftentimes, you know, we see the manifestation of that idea of that new community and the bonds that brothers and sisters in Christ have. And I think we're tempted to say to ourselves, and I think sometimes foolishly, because I'm not sure we always want what we think we want, but we oftentimes, I think, think, wouldn't it be great if we were alive during the New Testament time? Wouldn't it have been so awesome to be part of the New Testament church? But I think it's, we have to ask ourselves, why was it so glorious? Why was it so awesome to be part of the New Testament church? It was that they were part of this unexpected promise that Jesus Christ gave that he would build his church, that he would bind people together with the ties of grace that would be thicker than blood. And so even uh, some of us have closer bonds with those that are in Jesus Christ than we have with our, with our blood relatives And that's by design. That's the community that Christ uh, has has made. And he's given us a foretaste of that community. When Jesus Christ comes again, 
That's actually what it's going to be like, that new community. But he said, you know, right now, I'm going to give you a taste of that. I know you live in a fallen world. I know the church will not be perfect. You know, as we're going to sing here uh, in just a minute in uh, our closing song, you know, sometimes the church is sore oppressed. Sometimes things look really difficult for the church. But even in that, we get to experience what things are going to be like when Jesus Christ comes again in majesty and power and makes this life universal here in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, in Acts 2, there's this situation in the church um, of Jerusalem. You know, if you became a a Christian when you were a Jew, you were going to be disenfranchised and probably disinherited from your family. And so there was in the New Testament church a great need for many of the believers. You know, they needed a way to uh, make ends meet. But this new community that God created was enough for that need. And if you look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, Acts 4:32, we read, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. In other words, the attitude within the church was that you are a brother or sister in need. Here, what I have is yours. Let me give it to you. Let me meet your need. I'll be more than happy even to sell a property and the things that I have and give it to you. And that's not to say that we should take everything that we own and give it to the church and the church ought to be dispensing that, obviously. But what it does show is the nature of this community, that there is that closeness and that sense of of sacrifice and ministering in the name of the Lord. And so it's not at all surprising that we read in the early chapters of Acts that when this promise of Jesus Christ that he would build his church came to become true, that there were those who looked at the work of the kingdom and said, do I dare be a part of that? It was something so amazing and so incredible. You know, so church is not one hour of activity a week on a Sunday morning or in our case on a Sunday night. Or if you're super spiritual, then you go to Bible study or or if you're really spiritual, you go to table talk on the second Friday night of the month and participate in those discussions. No, the church is so much more than that. It is a community that is knit together and bound together in Jesus Christ. And the church is central to the vision of Jesus Christ. And if it is less than that for us, then we don't understand the work of Jesus Christ and that we may not, and we, um, and we will experience so much less of his grace as we do not partake of the church. And so I guess I want us just to think about this a little bit tonight. You know, um, whether you're part of Kirk of the Plains or not, or you're just visiting here tonight and just to support and encourage us in our first service, that we ought to look at Christ's view of the church and understand it's not just an activity we go to, but it is a community that we belong to. It is precious in the eyes of the Lord. And to look at our lives and say, do I view Christ's church that way? Do I? Well, I know that Kirk of the Plains, that we're not going to do everything perfectly, but it is my prayer as the founding pastor that we would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And as people watch Kirk of the Plains to see if they're going to make it or not, it is my prayer that our focus would not be upon sustainability, 
but upon faithfulness to look to Jesus Christ to build this church. Amen? And if God uses the work of Kirk of the Plains to benefit other segments of the body, that we would not see that as a failure, but we would understand that what God is doing in his church is much bigger than our group, and that instead that we would rejoice and praise God when other churches succeed and grow and we see that maturity come. So to God be the glory as he continues his expanding work of his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for uh, the work that you are doing in your church. We do pray, Lord, for us that we would love and cherish the church as much as you do. Father, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to think about that and, uh, and, and also to think about how we are part of this new community, uh, even as we think about uh, Kirk of the Plains. But Father, when we are challenged to think about that even larger than Kirk of the Plains and the church at large, Father, let us have a heart for other believers. Let us take interest in the things that you are doing in other places of the church as well. Drive us, Lord, to our knees to pray for the work of your spirit uh, in Andover and the surrounding areas. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would be a selfless people and that, Father, that we would see your glory manifest in those around us. We thank you, O Lord, and pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you'll take your song sheets and turn to 347, The Church's One Foundation.